Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk with Sober Retake. Um, today I'm talking to Duncan. Duncan has been a friend of mine for the, the last year. We've known each other. We connected on Instagram. Duncan's um, Instagram name is a sober life WWHT, which I found out in this conversation means who would have thought, which is pretty amazing. Um, yeah, Duncan is um, it's been coming up to a year sober. Um, he's a dad of three. He's of course everything really. He's an artist, a cook, a hiker, a wild camper, and a writer. So check out his blog on the um, show notes at the end. And um, yeah, I really hope you enjoy this conversation because I certainly did and I look forward to talking to him again. Thank you very much. How are you, sir? Oh, uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Oh, that's good. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, I'm just... Yeah. Uh, you had a fun day? Where I've been toiling the soil. Oh, have you been on your allotment? Yep, I have. It's been lovely. Do you know what? There's something... I don't. I can't explain what, but scrabbling around in the earth is so cathartic and therapeutic. I don't know why, but it definitely works. It's brilliant. Mm. No, I've heard that. A friend of mine, he's got an allotment, and he he ups, and he's he's the last person I would think would have an allotment, and he he loves his shed. He loves all his, you know, it's a shed that looks like an allotment shed made of corrugated tin. They'll have a double glazed UPC door on the front where he's found somewhere sticking out of a skip. And, um, yeah, he loves it. So, yeah, um, good for you. Sounds very much like mine. I, I, I've, my, my allotment, I've got so much going on there, and everything has come from skips and, and whatnot. Yeah. But I had a theory today as to why I think it's so uh, therapeutic and good and restorative to be at the allotment. And I think what it is, is I become present and I switch off from the thoughts that are all about busy every day yes work family worries about the future regrets of the past you know all the stuff that that all the noise of our day-to-day life and when you go to the allotment and you focus just automatically on whether you're weeding or tying up tomato plants as it was today you become very present and and that is very very peaceful place to be it's like a reboot i really yeah i would say it's like a reboot almost like meditation almost you go in there in the you're in that zone you're thinking it's about exactly nothing else like yeah it's exactly is, like meditation you know, i mean my wife she um she goes to pottery classes on a saturday morning and that's her thing you know she goes to that and today we well not today but on saturday we had lots of things going on we've got people coming down from Newcastle, we've got members of the family who aren't very well at all. And I just said to her, look, still go, because nobody expects you to drop everything. Go, it's only for two hours, and you'll really, really enjoy it. And she came back, like you say, like somebody, like like off and on, isn't it? Turn it off and on again, just like um, IT 101. First thing, have you turned off the power supply, no matter what it is? So, yeah, I think, I think it's... Um... I think it's even more than just the reboot, although it is like a reboot. But I think what we don't realise, or what I didn't realise, so I'm new to this, but our thoughts are non-stop and they mean well. And we think we think we're in charge. We think we are thinking a lot, but I'm coming around to the conclusion that actually thoughts happen to me. And um, 
they're tiring and they tie me up in in various places not not all bad you know maybe i'm looking forward to christmas then my thoughts will be full of thoughts for the christmas but nevertheless i'm full of thoughts when you switch off from those thoughts there's something magical happens because i think our real self is sitting behind those thoughts and when we switch them off our real self gets a chance to bubble to the surface and take a breath yeah i'm and sure i totally agree with that that's right. because i i i've been asked quite a few times um with sobriety which is obviously what my let's talk is mainly about i mean my um this podcast which which i do is isn't necessarily just about sobriety it's to speak to people my friends who i really like to come on and talk because we see all these people on instagram flash past we may follow people and follow their you know progress and you know we're all going in the same direction and i thought a little while ago i thought you know what it would be really nice to actually talk to these people rather than just see pictures i know I mean, you're a good friend of mine, Duncan. I don't mean just like somebody just flashing past. We've spoken lots and lots of times. But yeah, and people often say to me, oh, you know, about finding themselves, you know. And when I stopped drinking, I didn't even know who I was. Never mind what did I like doing. It was like, this is a total blank canvas. It's like walking out of a dark cave into the sunlight. And I didn't know what to expect. So on one, so that's a double-edged sword. Because when you, I had the same experience. So you stop drinking and you think, who the fuck am I? Mm. And how does this world work? In fact, I don't know anything. And so, as you say, blank canvas. Yeah. So the upside, actually, I'll start with the downside. The downside is it's all scary because you suddenly realize you know nothing. You don't even know who you are. No. And, um, and then who you are, whole load of stuff, bubbles, all motions and stuff like that, which were previously put to sleep and sedated bubble up and you don't know what the fuck they are and and then you have to step out into the frightening world of um of all the things that you need or ought to be doing from engaging with your relationships friends family children work um going to social events um all the things scary scary because it's all unknown because you've never done it sober before and super scary but the double-edged sword it's as you said it's a blank canvas which means whatever's gone before is is gone and you now have a chance to work it again and yeah. you you've got a blank canvas you you can be anything do anything you can sort it all out and it's it's bloody fantastic it is i mean <laughs> i'm sure we're both smiling but but um what i've been surprised about is We've all got friends which we, we no longer go out drinking with because we don't no longer go down the pub as often. We still go down the pub, but it's not the same when you're not drinking. These friends fall by the wayside. But I have got some friends who have really stuck by me. And I'm amazed at the forgiveness of these friends because I've probably said some things. I could think of this particular person who I won't mention, but there's a friend of mine who's who's a big sober account on this on this platform we call Instagram. You know, we're talking a hundred thousand followers. And I've been friends with him for a long, long, long time. And I'd got it into my head something had changed. And we 
we didn't fall out, but we certainly had a difference of opinion. And it went a bit rocky for a while. And I sent him an email the other day saying, look, I really need to talk to you because I'm man enough to apologize for, for, for what I may have said, you know, which has obviously caused a lot of problem. And I would really like to apologize. And he was just so, he said, listen, there's absolutely no need to do that because we've, we've had this conversation on here. You know, apology accepted. And this is what makes us men. We now move on. It's all, all women. Good. It's all good. Of course, all women. But um, it was, it's all good. You know, don't worry about it's it. It's what makes us. Um, yeah, and it was up. it was really humbling. I, I sat there thinking, I don't know if I would have reacted the same way, honestly. Because that black bit of you inside goes, ah, oh, fuck off then if you don't like it. You know what I mean? Because he doesn't need my friend. He's got millions of people. Um, but um, I was really humbled by it. So what I'm getting around to saying in my usual way is you really know who your friends are, don't you, when you're sober? Because you're no longer the one buying the drinks at the bar. You're not, oh, you wait till Ian gets here. He'll have loads of drink. It'll be a right laugh. It's people who genuinely want to be in your company. I suppose you do know who your friends are when you're sober because, for a start, you are, you're awake. You're present. You're not sedated. Mm. You're, you're noticing stuff and you're remembering stuff. So, and you, you observe. So it's it's easy to see who your friends are. Before, when we were in a sort of sedated befuddle, you know, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have seen the signs. You wouldn't have read the small print to suggest, oh, look, that's you know, it, it's just a blur. In fact, I think when when we're drunk, we don't really notice anything. We're all we're just no. in our own little bubble. Yeah, I do think though that. Um, so I'm going to pick you up on that. I don't think it makes us men. And I don't think it makes us women, but I know exactly what you're saying. So I'm being... Yeah, the sentiment behind it but was it we're does, man enough. It, it makes us uh, mature. It makes us grown up. It makes us wise. I think that's what it does. Yeah. And um, I've noticed it's almost like you've got to go through that trial of having your life fall apart and then reconstruct it to, to find these beautiful traits. A, a lot of the sober community, in fact, I can't think of anybody as an exception, who doesn't impress me in the way that you've just described. Mm. Because I think everybody who's been that route, we all know that there's, who am I to judge? Because I've been there myself, and I also understand how easy it is to make mistakes, and, you know, it's, that's not me talking, that's not you talking, that's that's your emotions bubbling up and saying something I know you'll regret later. Yeah, exactly that, you know, and yeah, I mean, it, it was. I mean, um, let's quickly in, sort of introduce you on here. I mean, we've been friends for a while, but your sober date, is it the 26th of August? I thought, you said, sober, I thought you said I'm sober Dave. I thought, no, no, you're not I sober Dave. You've got the wrong guy on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's next yeah. week. Uh, my, so, my, um, my sober date is the 22nd of August 2022, so I'm knocking on a year i think yes. today is three by five day three by five yeah i mean that's do you still i know i've watched your your videos which you put on instagram which i really like and get a lot from to be honest i honestly i i love them and i know some, a mutual friend of ours kezabel she quite often send me a message saying have you watched duncan's thing today oh my really? god yeah oh, absolutely so cool. yeah you know and well, that's um, what i hope that's yeah. what i hope you know yeah and um you know, she she says such lovely things, and yeah. So I mean, obviously, you're counting the the days, but it's more 
when when I I mean I still count the days, but I have to sort of try and work, look work it out now to where I am. But for the first year, it was like this is the day, and I mean, do you remember your sort of most the milestone which really sort of wow you know was it like six months or what was it where you thought this is something else you know i'm really pleased that i've reached this or, or i think just... i um so i don't know if i've got one of those i probably have no. a few of those actually but i remember begrudgingly stepping into sobriety and it was only going to be brief it was going to be all right i'll give my system a rest I'll do like the 30 day challenge, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. and, and after putting it off, putting it off, putting it off and finding so many reasons why manana manana, I finally started, but it was begrudging and it was difficult and it was painful because I had headaches and I was thought I'd, I thought I'd come down with ME. I was so tired. Mm -hmm. My body tried to catch up on, on stuff. But I think, I think it was, um, I wasn't long into the process. I think, Towards the end of 30 days, I was already thinking to myself, wow, I, I'm liking I'm liking where this is going. I was resisting saying to myself, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm you know, resisting saying I'm going to never drink again. Because I thought, yeah. I thought that's just silly. Um, I couldn't actually even imagine such a stupid thing. But I, I was beginning to think that. And I was thinking, that's just because you're Duncan, you're just running away with yourself because you're excited about this 30-day challenge. But I would have thought around about 30 days, I was... I was wanting to say it and then it was probably round about I didn't wait too long it was probably round about <laughs> day 40 that I thought actually I'm I'm fucking saying it I am never drinking again and yeah. I, so that would have been a milestone yeah absolutely I've had, I've had other milestones I've, I've obviously like pretty much every one of us you know I've done uh Christmas I've done holidays I've done work events I've done you know each one of those was a scary concept as i ro rolled up to it mm. particularly christmas with all my favorite bottles of wine just sort of passing right in front of my nose across the dinner table all, all christmas and, and 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 having to really hold myself to my cause and and um yeah so there, was, there have been a few milestones yes yeah. christmas is is tricky because i mean i i'd lay laid down the foundations on christmas before we started i, I said to my wife listen if I feel like this, then I'm not going to make a big scene. I'm just going to go for a walk. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pop out and get some fresh air. And that's all I'm going to say. She goes, no, that's fine. And um, so sort of just after we'd eaten, I just said, look, I'm just going to pop out for a few minutes. And everyone was like, okay. And I just went for a walk for like half an hour and came back. And it was that was a reset. It was just my yeah. way of saying, right, I'm in charge. And I've decided that's to do this. Little, that's a clever um, little technique. Yeah, it's it's... I mean, it's one of the things which which we hear spoken about quite openly is a sober toolbox, this imaginary cantilever old toolbox that you can open and pull out an option. Well, if you load that toolbox before you go to somewhere with escape routes, escape strategies, or whatever you want to call them, when you're at critical crisis point, when someone says, oh, do you want a glass of champagne and puts one in front of your face? And if you're in a function somewhere then you know how you're going to react to it before you have to think so if this happens then i'm going to do this and it just takes the pressure off because you've well, already I, got it in your mind that's how it's going to be yeah I, I i have obviously thought long and hard and i still do about how i deal with cravings if and when they come you know 
we all know what a craving feels like. You're, you're, you're just taken over by an uncontrollable desire to abandon everything you're trying to do and just go for the the drink, go for the drugs, go for the cigarette, go for the chocolate, go for whatever the fuck it is that you're saying yeah. you're not yeah. going to do. And the, the red mist descends and you 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 can lose yourself and and what and then and then you do it. So I think it's so important. I've given a lot of thought to how I how I interrupt that process. Um, and so that's what you remind me of when you talk about you went out for a walk there at Christmas because what in my opinion happens is that our thoughts get triggered and it's our thoughts not us that run away with us and so it's about catching those thoughts and um before they have a, an opportunity to take over the whole of mission control tower and um and so going for a walk is a is an interruption it it, it stalls what's building in your thoughts and it gives you a chance to step forward and take back the reins because you mm. don't want to drink. It's only your thoughts that are misguided and think and think and think that you want to drink, but it's your thoughts, not you. So it's about jumping back into the the driving seat and anything you can do that will arrest that process. I, for instance, my version of going for a walk will be: I will immediately think about my breathing. That does mm. the same trick. Yeah. I don't even have to leave that. That's a lazy one. I don't even have to leave the house. <laughs> I just immediately switch my attention. I become super observant. Or or I might I might look at this pen and I might say, let's imagine I've never looked at a pen before in my life. What would I think about it? What can I observe about it? And uh, that process interrupts the thoughts that are building for having a drink. Mm. It interrupts it. They, yeah. they can't exist, it seems, in the same place. Either my my concentration, my focus, my presence is there or they are. That's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was listening to um, Tony Robbins the other day, which some things I really like and I take all the good bits out of it. And some things I don't agree with. So I, we, that's it. But what he was saying was wherever locations all around the world, he's got property. He has um, a plunge pool he jumps into and these plunge pools are only they've got to be a certain temperature 57 degrees or something like this and he said there's not one day where he actually wants to jump in that pool he said every morning i jump in this pool and he said but when i say we're going to jump in it we jump in it so he tells his mind he says when i say jump we're fucking going to jump that's it no arguments no discussion it's not even open for negotiation that's what we're doing so what? And so is that him? Um, that's him practicing being in charge of his. That's mind? right. That's right. So I had his mind going. Oh yeah, but you could have another ten minutes in bed or lie there or why don't you go and have breakfast then do it? No, this is what we do first thing in the morning. And again, that's maybe his way of doing something very similar is to interrupt any thought to say no. This is what we do to be in control of what he's doing. So so cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot because um, right at the heart of everything that I I believe now is that I am not my thoughts. I didn't know that before. I thought my thoughts were me, but yeah. I am not my thoughts. And thoughts are like, you know, everybody's uh, worried these days about AI. Yes. There's been a lot in the news recently that AI is basically an intelligence, uh, artificial intelligence that's going to 
take over the world and and fuck everything up. We're not talking about artificial insemination. Just want to make that quite clear. <laughs> that could also quite literally fuck everything up. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, no, let's leave the artificial insemination to one side. Yes. But So that's what we're worried about. And yet that's already happened far more locally in our own heads. But we've got this, instead of a computer, we've got a brain. And we think we are the brain, but our brain is not us. It's just a tool that we pick up and use to do a, to, to think through something, to work out a problem, and then we should be able to put the, the the thoughts down and be ourselves. We are not our thoughts. The proof is that we can observe our thoughts. So we are the we are the observer of our thoughts. Yeah. Clearly, we aren't the thoughts. We can't observe them and be them. And anything. So I think our own onboard AI has had has had free reign and it it runs it runs the show. But things like what Tony Robbins, you told me Tony Robbins does, is is practicing to take back the reins. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. And I think yeah. that's meditation is when we meditate, we practice taking the stage away from thoughts. You know, we we run ourselves and um and when you go for a walk, you interrupt those thoughts. When I concentrate my breathing, I interrupt those thoughts. Tony Robbins jumps in a plunge pool. I think it's a bit of a whim. Fifty-seven degrees. I think it should be yeah. like old. Yeah, I, I, I did. Um, I was going to email him, dear Tony Robbins. <laughs> I think your pool's too warm, Ian. Yeah, fifty-seven but, um, degrees. I, it like, it's on. Um, it's on Netflix saying, "I am not your guru." It's turned by Tony Robbins, and it is a fantastic hours watch. Oh, it okay. really is. I'll give that it a look. Very, very. It's, I mean. It is incredible. I mean, and I listened to an interview with him and Russell Brand on Under the Skin. I think oh, it's really? the episodes in the 40s, somewhere 45, something like that. And um, obviously, Russell Brand interviews Tony Robbins. And then if you can go to Tony Robbins' website and listen to the other the other way around, where the, the interviews and Russell Brand. And it's very, very good. And it's when his book Recovery came out, where he re reconfigured the 10 steps in his own way, oh, like 12 he? steps, yeah. How fucked are you? You are, f do you know you're fucked? You know, and it was simply like that. And they loved it in America. They said, yeah, it needs updated. Not quite like that, but it does need an update nevertheless. So, yeah, that was um, oh, really I something what, else. I, I, um, I looked that one out too. I, I really like him. Yeah, it's, it's very, very good, actually. I've listened to it more than once. It's um, pretty, pretty good. But when we get back to our thoughts, we all have thoughts which are, irrational crazy thoughts don't we like you're saying like you might be doing the decorating and you're i mean i'm going to say this i'm sure it's, it's not what really happens but you might your wife you might be finished all day and your wife will say oh you've missed that bit over there and you feel like you know what i'd love to tip this pot of paint over your head right now <laughs> right but you don't oh, no. do it do you because i hope not i hope not yeah well i'm just giving you an example or i mean there's worse things isn't it? you might in a dream but you know but what i'm saying is you've that is an example of where you're not your thoughts. Well, see, that's a great example because your thoughts go, I here's here's what happens. Your thoughts say, I would really like to tip a bucket of paint over your head. Now, you hear that sentence in your head, I would like to do that, and you think that's me talking. No, it's not you talking. No. You think that's a bad idea, we won't do it. Yeah. And you overrule the thoughts. That's right. Yeah. 
which is where you get this second person, isn't it? You know, which they portray in all sorts of things, like Lord of the Rings with Gollum. Let's take the two of them, the good cop, bad cop sort of arrangement. It's very, very good. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try and touch on this subject as well. I've been listening to quite a few people talking about moderation. There seems to be a trend going across the sober community where people are saying, well, after four months of sobriety, your brain has had a reset. This is that you are now should be able to have a glass of wine without the urge to, to go back to how you were. Now, I've got to be honest, it's not something I agree with at all. And I think, why bother? Because I'm quite happy, I mean, it's my own opinion, but I'm quite happy just to not drink wine. You know, and that's it. I've chosen not to drink alcohol. There's lots of alternatives which I really like and probably prefer. So I just wonder what your views were on. on... Okay, so I, I, I'll tell you my views, but I'll also tell my views are based on my experience. Mm -hmm. And my experience is my experience of myself in that yes. scenario. And my experience is also of anyone else I can think of and there isn't an exception to what to, to my observation. So I, I've heard it's probably better, easier to come at it from this angle. I've heard the I've heard getting embroiled in alcohol described as getting into an elevator that only goes down. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, that's a good metaphor. I like that. It works. I, I get it. I understand it. Uh, I was very lucky. I got out at a you know let's say minus floor one hundred. But I know, I know it went down considerably further, and I've got, uh, I, I know people who whose rock bottom was a lot lower. So, if if I got out at, of the elevator at minus one hundred, and gave it four months or four years or forty years, if I start drinking again, I step back into the elevator. It's a miss. I think it's a miss conception to think that you're going to step back into the elevator at floor zero and start the whole thing again you don't you step in at exactly the floor you stepped out of so yes. i would step back in at floor minus 100 i would it wouldn't it wouldn't take me long to be in exactly the same behavior pattern as as poor. i i I've, I've had i've collected addictions over my life and <laughs> you know and they they all behave the same and I've always I've always tried to moderate because obviously I want to have my cake and eat it. Uh, I wanted to have my cake and eat it. I have changed my opinion on this. But so I think if you were able to moderate when you stopped drinking, you could probably moderate if you started again. And there's a lot of people like that. So my wife, for instance, she was able to moderate. She never had really a big problem. She stopped drinking when I did to support me. Thank you, Karina. Uh, but if she started drinking again, you know, she would be back where she was, which was not really much of a problem. And I have other friends like that. But if I started drinking again, like if I started smoking again or doing drugs again, I would immediately, uh, let's say immediately, within a, within a few weeks, if not days, I would be back to the same behaviour pattern. So I think, and all my effort, 355 days, would slip by the wayside and i would have to start building up the energy to face day one again and go through that you know yeah actually get to day one getting to day one was hard for me as i said earlier you know there was so many things that came along and interrupted me getting to day one let alone getting involved with 
disentangling myself once I got to day one. So I don't think moderation is available to anybody who wasn't previously able to moderate. No. And the, I mean, you've put that perfectly, but that's, that's how I feel. I, th I mean, I, I know that I can't moderate because if I had a glass of wine, I'd want the whole bottle straight away and, and more, you know, so I don't, well, it's, it's just what? something I can't go there. It's just something I can't do. One, many, many years ago, uh, one, uh, I went on holiday with my brother when I was a smoker and my brother Brett doesn't smoke. And he bought a packet of a carton of cigarettes and was smoking on holiday. I went, Brett, what, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I, I smoke on holiday. I said, what? And then you stop afterwards. He went, yeah. So I thought, oh, my gosh. And I had stopped smoking, right? So I, did, I, I, I let that go. A whole year later, I went on holiday. I thought, I'll do what Brett does. And I bought a carton of fags. And I then had to buy another carton and another mm. carton because I smoked them like like professionally. Yeah. And when I got home, I did what Brett did and I stopped smoking. I thought, bloody hell, he's right. It's no problem. So then a friend asked me out for a pint and I went to the pub. I thought, well, seeing as I can moderate now, I'll have a cigarette. And then yeah. I only smoked when I went out with Bill. And then I only smoked when I went out to the pub. Then I started going out to the pub more often and it didn't take long before I was back up to 40 a day and um, and I was hooked again and it and I noticed it was just a down downward slide mm. I tried to moderate cigarettes and you know it does I don't think it really matters what the substance is particularly I don't even think it needs to be addictive if it's no. a compulsive behavior pattern if you've got your brain wired in a certain way for this thing then I don't think moderation is available and so sooner you surrender to that fact yeah. the easier your life will be absolutely and the amount of time and effort which would be needed for me to moderate and the amount of supervision i would need to put on myself it just isn't worth it no. honestly it would I'm take up all of, of my time would be i know you know that mental, if, that mental yeah. negotiation that voice yeah. in your head have i had too many yet can i have one now yeah. non-stop drive you mad I mean, I posted something a couple of days ago about driving because it used to be it got to the stage where if we were going somewhere and I'd got to drive, I didn't want to go. And that's ridiculous. But um, that's how it was, because I thought, well, if I can't drink, I've, I just won't have any confidence and I won't be funny and people won't like me. And and it was ridiculous, really. So why why would I want to go through there again? The only thing I will say is on when... I first stopped drinking at say two or three weeks and I thought to myself well forever is a long time isn't it yes. you know and reasonably long time yeah that's right yeah but in, in your own mind and when you sort of come out and say I can hear someone talking in the background when when you actually bear me a second when you come out and actually say right I'm not going to drink anymore people are waiting for you to fail aren't they some uh, people yeah well your drinking friends that's right they're going oh yeah here we go this is a new fad is it you know well, see how long this one lasts you know and put you down yeah, and back right in your place no i mean i remember saying to my dad oh i'm i'm i don't drink anymore and he 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 didn't really say anything which i was surprised at. he just went all he said was well 
you just do whatever you want to do. And that was it. Can I say something else on moderation? Seems mm -hmm. you brought it up. Yes, absolutely. It's useful. Is, um, moderation is something that we think we want to do before we realize actually alcohol doesn't bring me anything. Um, we, when you are, when you're viewing stopping drinking as giving up something, that's when you want to moderate because that means I give it up less. But what I've discovered, and I know you've discovered this too, in fact, I'm sure it's a universal truth for you eventually get there, is you realize that alcohol was robbing you blind and in actual fact, stopping drinking, it, you suddenly get more good things come to you, more good things in your life. And so actually, why would I want to moderate that? I've got I've got all these wonderful things happening in my life now. So to moderate alcohol would be to reduce the number of good things happening in my life in order to have some of the good things that alcohol brings, which I can't really think of any, actually, really, apart from the first first 20 minutes of, of the yeah. first drink, and then that's it, really. And, and to be honest, I don't think I like that feeling anymore. Oh. Moderation is a fantasy based on a on misinformation. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I can remember reading um, Andy Ramage's Andy Ramage, his book. I think it's called Let's Do This. And it was a line in there. And I was reading it, just reading, the, you know, a quick lit, and I was going through some was that been recommended, and it had a line in there, and it's something along the lines of, when you reach the point where you you're you've only got so much willpower. And that's it. You've only got a certain amount of willpower. And if you use it all, trying not to do something, then it's, it's so hard because you can, some people, they just run out of willpower and that's it. But if you can change your mindset to, I actually want to do this, I want to stop drinking, it doesn't require any willpower at all. Exactly. Because it's something you want to do rather than something you're having to use willpower to stop yourself from doing and that was ask. a that was a game changer for me because it's written so. I mean, he's a fantastic author, and it was a terrific book. And I'm simplifying what he said, but it was thought, how wonderfully refreshing. It was just something written down, and I really connected with that. And I was very lucky because I met him at one of Sober Dave's um, functions, and I did actually say to him that that was a game changer. It was quite a nice experience to actually see him. Wow. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm with you on that one. I said to somebody recently who asked me, um, do you have to resist drinking? And I, I, we were in his shed and he'd got some tools. And I said, how often do you have to resist going over and picking up that hammer and smashing your hand with it? And he said, well, obviously, I don't ever have to resist it. What? No willpower involved at all. You're not smashing your hand with your own hammer. No. I said, that's how I feel about alcohol. Why would I, why would I want to do that? Yeah. I, I've got no interest in doing that. I don't have to resist. I don't have to resist drinking bleach. I don't have to resist drinking exactly. beer, and I don't have to resist smashing my hand with a hammer. It just happens automatically now. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> my life yeah. is better for it. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, and mine. Um, I was listening to your interview the other day, and I don't want to take you somewhere which you don't want to go, but it, I found it really interesting about alcohol being how can I put this? It's being there to help you through a, a, a trauma. So if you just remove the alcohol, 
it doesn't really work because you haven't addressed the trauma or something that's happened in your life. You, you know, I mean, there's things which we've spoken about and you've really helped me on. And, you know, when we spoke about how long you're going to wait for that bus to turn up, you know, if you remember the conversation. Yeah. And um, I just wondered what you got to say about that, because I remember, I mean, this was about the experience you had as a young child when you was about two. And with some yeah, pajamas yeah, and your dad. Yeah. And, um, you know, and if, you know, we can skip, skip past this if you don't want to talk about it. That's absolutely fine. But I just found it really interesting that later on in life, you know, without any professional help that you could quite easily use alcohol to mask any feelings but when you take the alcohol away the feelings are still there aren't they it's it's encouraging people to to get the help they need and being able to talk you know to I mean that's what my connection group's about is to be able to talk to each other not necessarily even about alcohol yeah no that's that's so important do you know what I think? I think that this is all theory because obviously this was not my life. No. But my theory is that um, as you go through life, you learn lessons about how to work with life. And we live in a world where it's not all roses. You know, shit happens. Trauma happens. Mm. Um, horrible things happen all the time, actually, on, on varying levels from from small to really world stage big. And um, so we go through life and these things happen to us. And in an ideal world, as each one of these things happen, we would be surrounded by people who know how to deal with it, who would help us. And we would be difficult, but we would learn and we would get through and push on to the next thing. And, um, and we would go through life learning how to manage the day-to-day -day stuff. Mm. I think... I think I stopped learning. I think I, I I had decades of just being off my face on one drug or another because it was easier, as you say, to to numb it out and not face it. it probably it was a probably a behaviour pattern started as a kid, you yeah. know. So I yeah I'm, I'm immature. Yeah, I'm in my teens. Yeah, I'm I'm allowed to be immature, and so I was. And I instead of dealing with it. I numbed it out, which became a pattern of behaviour. And I think, let's say, that's probably 40 years of that behaviour, I missed out on learning how to deal with all, with with the things that are difficult to deal with in life. And now that I'm sober, I'm, I'm having to do fast catch-up. I'm trying to learn all the lessons I would have naturally mm. learnt along the way. It's... I might have missed 40 years of learning, but in actual fact, it doesn't take 40 years to catch up. No. And so, yeah, you're right. So um, you, when I stopped med self-medicating, I was left with a whole load of emotions bubbling up from the past, um, not to mention the ones that were happening in the present. Yes. And um, I've had to learn how to deal with it yeah i mean I should have done in the first place and yeah um, i'm yeah sorry carry on duncan no no that's it you know. yeah but i mean i i couldn't agree more because the life skills i should have naturally picked up i didn't because i lived in a very very small village um i mean it really was and 
we we went to a very local school. It was a very sort of closed environment, and um, we started drinking at an early age, and you know we didn't have these things. Certain things were never spoken about, and there wasn't the you haven't got the internet, we haven't got mobile phones, you haven't got any connection to anybody, and so like as we're just discussing. I was terribly shy when I was when I was younger. I mean, I am now shy, but I was terribly shy when I was younger. And then I found this fantastic thing called alcohol, and it really helped me get over the nerves. We call it Dutch courage, jokingly, but um, you know, it really helped at the time. But of course, it's addictive, and I would what I could have done with. Which is what I'm going to do to my son because I'm, I'm sure he'll go out drinking with his friends. But he's to just hover, be a helicopter parent just for a while, hover over him and say, Listen, go out and have a good time, do all these things, but just be mindful of what it is. Just you know, instead of buying your drunk son another pint at the bar, don't do that. You know, just say to him, Listen, got you know, you've had a, we've had a good night, come on, I'll buy you something to eat on the way home. Or something like that, you know. Well, I spent far too long in pubs when I was younger, and you know, my I've got relatives in in the pub there as well, and I was underage, and it should. It's a very difficult thing. I mean, I'm not sure what your relationship was, but with my lad, he's my little buddy. Don't get me wrong, because he's only 13, and we do lots together. But I'm his dad. I'm not his mate. And so I've got, I look out for him. It's my job to make sure that I can guide him the best I can until he disappears into the walkabout, whatever you want to call it, later on. You know, it's being a dad uh, is a difficult job and being a son or a daughter and being a mum is a difficult job too. And I'll tell you for why. It doesn't matter how many kids you, you've got, but everyone's different and you get... Your child gets to a point when they are going to start to change from a child to an adult. And that child has never made that process before. And you have never guided that child in that process before. And so it's the blind leading the blind. And you mm. and it's a really tricky situation. And you know, I've got three sons, and so I've been through it three times. And it's different every time because they've got different personalities. And so, you know. I, I may well have guided the first one through, but, but it really means nothing because the second one's different and the whole thing needs to be approached again um, with an open mind. I tend to think where, where things like alcohol and drugs are concerned, my approach to my children have been from a young age, I, I wouldn't prohibit them from doing anything. We know from our own addictive history that it doesn't matter what laws are in place, let alone what parents say or what teachers say or what the police say or what culture says we will do our decisions that that's just a fact so um i've always thought with my children i won't tell them not to do anything but i will tell them what i think so i would say look cards on the table i've done all these i've done heroin i've done the acid i've done the speed i've done the dope i've done this i've done that done that ask me questions i'll tell you how they work and i'll tell you why I don't do them now. I choose not to do these things now because because of this, because of that, and this is a danger, and that's cool, and that's good. No, don't roll a joint like that. You roll it like this, and I will 
I my I saw my job as to give them information and also give them the rope they need to hang themselves and they know they've got the rope. So they I'm not a safety blanket. They know they're making the decisions mm. and I've already given them the information. So what that means and is that when they make a mistake, they can come to me because I never told them not to and they know I'm informed. So, and I'm a support. So they have a resource in me. Whereas if I was laying down the law and saying, and threatening them and saying, if I see you with a fag, then you can bloody well, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Then they're never going to be able to come to me. And no, all not. my vast experience is pointlessly useless for them. So um, I, that's, that's my approach with. Yeah. Well, I think that's and, great. And, and if I can add, sorry, I remember my last yeah which you sparked off, which is all these problems are best sorted in advance rather than firefighting them. And we mentioned that we grew up and we we had situations happen to us and around us that we didn't know how to handle. And we ended up just rescuing ourselves through alcohol or drugs. But I think the best thing we can do for our children is to teach them how to manage difficult situations. You know, what happens when your girlfriend chucks you? What happens when your yeah. best mate lets you down? What happens when you feel shame about something or, you know, maybe you did crap at school and failed at this or all the difficult things. What happens if you got beaten up uh, outside the cinema on a Saturday, Saturday morning? You know, how do you process what happened and what does it actually mean? And that's what we should be helping our children to to learn how to deal with the shit when it happens mm. so that they don't need to go to the drugs and uh, and uh, everything else that one goes to to comfort oneself. No, but that's right. And I mean, I can remember being so desperate for just any form of knowledge or input that we I, we're very lucky with just about. 20 miles away we've got a buddhist meditation center and they do guided meditations and classes where they cover different subjects and one of them was how to deal with things which come along which are completely unexpected like your car will fail the mot your boiler will break you know they're pretty boring things but certain things you know you may lose a loved one and you know there's just things you cannot stop from happening it's just completely unavoidable how do you deal with these things and it was a three hour long class with the meditation in between and all this and they were just saying you know how and they're guiding you through how to deal with it and it was really was something i came away feeling completely different and it, i've used that thing like my boiler did break my car did fail the mot and it was just a completely different mindset it was like okay right Shouting at it isn't going to help. So what can we do to get it mended? Have we got the money? Can we borrow the money? You know, if not, can we sort something out? And it was a real methodical process because of being sober as well. I hadn't got this trying to do with a hangover. It was like, okay, well, we need to sort something out. And it, it is the whole thing has changed the way I live my life because now I'm sober. It isn't from going from one disaster to a, another situation it's it's more 
I'm gonna put it. I I decide what I'm what I'm doing rather. Well, than... you're you're sober, which means yeah. you're available to new knowledge. You're learning. Yeah, that's right. We we couldn't do that when we were drunk. We our brains yeah. weren't switched on; they were sedated. But you know, you could have been taught something. You forget it by the next day. Mm. You know what I would have said to you if you were my boy and you were and you were super shy and you were drinking. I would have said, I know why you're drinking, because it's giving you Dutch courage. Yeah. Let me just let me just warn you. You you keep doing it by all means, but this is the way alcohol works: is it will immediately help you with those nerves, and you'll feel great. But alcohol will bring you a greater degree of anxiety because of the chemistry involved and the, mm. you know, the dopamine yeah. and the adrenaline and the uppers and the downers. So you will actually end up more nervous. And so I'm just going to give you that bit of information. I'm not telling you what to do, but just be aware it's it's everything that glitters is not gold. No, that's right. Um because of my age, I do put lots of things down to things being different to what they are now. I mean, it was a very drinking culture. There wasn't anything else going on. There wasn't anything, everything, even the, the darts players on the television and the snooker players were drinking alcohol. You know, you may, I can remember seeing, you know, Eric Bristow standing up there on the hockey at the lakeside with, you know, the, the little round table that got covered in pint glasses and they were smoking, you know, where things are so different now. And I'm pleased to say, and I don't honestly think it's because of me that my kids aren't that bothered about alcohol at all. Because I say it's something that you lot used to do. It's like they don't do Facebook. I say, oh, Facebook's for, you know, something you old people do. You know, and it's just how things have moved on. And is it because they interact socially online? So they're not, well, we'll meet you at the pub six o'clock. Be there or after the football game. We'll go down the pub. We'll have a chat. Now they, they don't do that. They just yeah. chat online. They're constantly online all the time to each other. So they're missing out that central I, public house. I do think the, I do genuinely think this next, this, this younger generation, they're so impressive. And, um, and they, they're making decisions, wiser decisions than us, than we did. And yeah. uh, uh, I don't think it's because they, they, they had such brilliant parents because we're the generation that fucking did do it all. But yeah. somehow... Probably use an example not to do. (laughs) They're an impressive generation. You know, I've got uh, two of my three sons don't drink, you know, and um, not because, I mean, I'm surprised they don't drink because I I really didn't give them a very good example, you know, but um, yeah, and and a lot of their friends don't. And uh, it it is very, it gives you hope, doesn't it? It makes you think, um, yeah. I mean, I can remember going to our local shop and my daughter would have only been 15, and I was buying a bottle of Blue Wicked for her because I thought that was a dad cool thing to do. She said, well, why have you bought me that? I said, well, you know, because that's what you want. He said, no, well, I'd try to have a bottle of Coke, you know, or, you know, she's, you know, and I, and I realised he always thought of getting her to enable me. It was like, it was crazy. So I thought, right, that's it, and I never did that ever again. I think, I think my children were probably... A month old before I gave them their first sip of Guinness. Yeah, you know, you know it was just a oh, oh, super cool thing to do. Yeah, no, what the bloody hell was I thinking? Well, yeah, I mean, they they um, certainly when I was growing up, it was the belief that you would introduce your teenage sons or daughters to alcohol, at an early teenager. So yeah. when they reached the age of eighteen, 
they would know how to behave around alcohol. You didn't have somebody go out, get plastered, lose their driving license on the first night. You know, it was, for me, being 18 wasn't this rite of passage into alcohol. It was some just another birthday because I'd been drinking for, for years before I was 18. Do you know what? How How is it that alcohol has wheedled itself into the detail of our everyday lives? Because if I think of, if I go, I'm not this old, but if I think back to the war, you know, the 1940s, yeah. I know there's always been beer around, but it was a weaker stuff. But there wasn't, alcohol was not sold so pervasively everywhere. It wasn't, it, it wasn't the thing that you always did whenever you got together. Um, you know, a bottle of champagne or fizzy was like a seriously, seriously special occasion. How has alcohol wheedled its way into, no matter what you do, when you go to a school meeting, you go to a works do you go to you, you meet a friend it's it's all around alcohol mm. i think it's a relatively short period of time you know the yeah, old 60 absolutely. Odd years and when uh, I could, yeah. years. i'm hoping this next generation are going to wheedle it out again but yeah. i think we've all been duped our generation i think we have yeah when I, mean, I can remember clearly going to my local shop when i first bought a house so i've been 23 and I just got there just after three o'clock and they pulled all the shutters over the beer because you're only allowed to buy beer in the pub opening hours. And it was on a Sunday. And of course, yeah. they closed from half past two, three o'clock. And it was really, no, we can't sell you it. It seems ridiculous now. Now you can go to a 24-hour garage or even have it delivered yeah. whenever you want. And one of the things which I think, going back to what you said about the war, I think is a big difference on disposable income and the support network is much better if you decide to spend all of your money on alcohol then more often than not there's a there is a support network somewhere in place that will make sure you don't starve make sure that your rent is covered if you're living in whatever housing where in the war years if you ran out of money that was it, it there's was... something else I, I, that jumps to mind i don't know if i'm talking complete rubbish here but i'm going to listen to myself say it and see what i think but obviously the war was a you mentioned trauma earlier mm. now the war i i didn't fight in the war i was too young but the war would have been a traumatic thing you know oh, yeah. you would have every family would have been touched you know you're you've either you've either were out there and survived in which case you saw horrors um you underwent horrors you saw them to other or, or or you didn't survive and your family went through the horrors of loss. And mm. so you had a whole nation in trauma around about the time when alcohol became a little bit more available. And, you know, yeah. our emotions were shut down. You know, we had to shut our emotions down to get through war, I imagine. And then, and then we all know it's easy to shut emotions down. It's not easy to open them up again. And so no. that that was my father. That was his generation. So I've got a guy coming out of the war whose emotions are shut down, completely ill-equipped to be a father to me and teach me about my emotions. And um, just at the time when I'm hitting teenage years, when everything's available to me, as you rightly say, the economy, availability, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, you've touched on the whole subject there, which, you know, we'll talk about another day because like you were saying, with 
their emotions. My my parents deal with emotions a completely different way to, to what I do because of the generation they were. You know, you've got to get on with it. And even now, people are still leaving the forces with um, PTSD. You know, they have not had any real therapy or counselling or not much offered to them unless they can organise it themselves. Um, before we wrap this up, I just wanted to say something else to you, Duncan. I listened to you the other day, and it was really quite impressive the way that you said that you will not tolerate um, getting into conversations with yourself about alcohol. You said that you stop it on the first syllable, stop it dead. Yeah. And I thought that is pretty impressive, really, because that is... I agree, agree with you. I'm not saying I can do it quite like that. I'm, I'm more of a, we'll, we'll have this discussion about this, but um, it's it's great. And it's such good advice for people who may be listening to say, look, don't get into the conversation. Don't even, if you if you, someone wanted to talk to you about something else you didn't want to talk about, you just end the conversation. Yeah. I, I know for a fact that if I enter a negotiation with that alcohol voice, it's only a matter of time. It might not happen immediately, but once I've said, okay, let's talk about it. You know, my brain, my brain is a clever old cookie and it will come up with the most unbelievably contrived, sometimes very believable reasons why, you know, why I should. Uh, not anymore. I'm well past that point now. Yeah. But um, I have to deal with it now with chocolate. And, um, you know, but you're right. It's, it's that... I don't think it's impressive to cut it off before it finishes its first syllable. It's impressive to cut it off after it's finished its first word or two or sentence. Yeah. But, so I cut it off. I go. I just cut it off immediately. The moment I hear the voice beginning to suggest I, I have a drink or what have you, uh, I tell it to fuck off. I'm not doing that stuff. And I move my thoughts elsewhere because that's the only way I found to to stammy it and yeah. i found the more i did that the less i needed to yeah well it, you create a different thought process don't you a different it's no longer becomes um like i say willpower it's more of a habit to say right this is the way we're going to do things now and um it's my way or the highway i'm afraid and that's it um, so that's you know, i know cool. you're about to wrap it up so yeah i, I just want to say how amazing not only you and i are but everybody who is in this process because we are learning new tricks we yeah. might be you know what's what's that expression my old dogs we might be old dogs and we might even be young dogs but we're learning new tricks and they're not just tricks they're bloody fantastic life skill things that are enabling us and the people in life with us to lead much 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 better lives i'm yeah. so pleased yeah, I mean, I'll second that because I I used to be very blinkered in my thought process and I I knew best and now I listen to what people say. I always listen and especially moving us away from sobriety, but it's certainly in, in my working environment. There's people who work in my department and they're in their 20s and they are fantastic at what they do. They've got, you know, Excel absolute boffins and data analysts and things like that who are in their mid-20s and I go to them and ask them things so if I'm prepared to do that for that why not open yourself up 
you know, to other people and because, you know, just listen to what people say. You know what, you won't go wrong with that. I no, that's right. Um, right, before we wrap this up, Duncan, is there any anything else you'd like to say? Or, I mean, where, where can we find you on Instagram and do you, your blog? We haven't talked about your blog, so I'd like to mention that as well. Uh, Joe, I'll tell you a funny thing about how to find me on Instagram. I've been told to share this, but there's never been a proper time to share it. But I am a sober life WWHT, right? Right. And what what do you think WWHT is? WWHT. Yeah. Um, with or without? <laughs> I don't know. Close, exactly. So I, I've got kids and they're forever, you know, at LOL and and NP, no problem, and yeah. WTF, what the fuck, and, you know. Yeah. So uh, my blog is asoberlife.co.uk, and I yep. wanted to have a sober life on Instagram, but somebody else has got a sober life. So I thought, I know, I'll have a sober life. Who would have thought? WWE. Who would have thought? So, yeah, who would have thought? Yeah, oh, yeah who would have thought? So I, yeah. I, I did that. Oh, good, no one's taken it, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, and then I showed it to my kids. I went, what the fuck's that, Dad? I went... Well, WWHT, who'd have thought? They said, who's ever going to think of that? I go, I thought that's how it works. No, that's not how no. it works. But anyway, I'm stuck now. Yeah, <laughs> I can remember asking my daughter what I need, and I pronounced it wrong when the, with these um, smartphones first sort of came available. I said, what's an em emoji? And she went, what? You know, it was just so funny. I fell about laughing. And then my son sent me a message and it says um, TBR. TBR? Yeah, I thought, what's that? TBR. And it was too busy to read it. Oh, really? Yeah. In other words, I haven't even read it. It's too long. Get lost. Amazing, isn't it? I bet if if, if I'd have put, and I'll take you to McDonald's at the bottom, he'd have read it. But um, still, there we go. I'll tell you what, though. I want to do, I do, I would love to promote something else. Yes. Uh, so I have just written a piece for Low No Drinker magazine. And um, Low No Drinker magazine is a really fab magazine it's for people who either want to drink less or not and um it's a really quality magazine i'm i'm so impressed with it i'm really grateful to have something i've written put in it and anyway so i would say seek it out online low no drinker magazine yeah okay if you um send me a link over to that well and i'll, we'll I'll pop it on the on the bottom of the show notes as well so uh, yeah, I'm not it, sure but... I know how to send over a link. <laughs> I'll find Seriously. it with the link on. That's <laughs> oh, been amazing. Thank you so much, Duncan, for coming on. Oh, listen, really, really... thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. No. It's an honour and a privilege, and I'm so thrilled that you know you wanted to listen to my old ramblings. No, we need to actually speak more often. I always feel better after a conversation with you, Duncan. Yeah. You know, talking's good. It is good. Yeah. Right. You better go and get get your evening. Meal I've got to go prepared. and cook. I've got to yeah. go and cook the dinner. Yep. Um, right, we'll wrap this up. Thanks for listening, everybody, and um, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Love and peace. Wow, what an amazing conversation that was. Um, yeah, I always look forward to talking to Duncan. Um, whenever I speak to him, I come away feeling better. Um, yeah please do check out his blog. It's an amazing blog. Um, that's www.asoberlife.co.uk. And again, you'll find him on Instagram 
as a sober life WWHT, which again means for who would have thought. So yeah, thank you once again, Duncan. It's amazing. Um, please like and share. And if you get time, please leave me a review. I would love to see your feedback. Thank you very much. See you next time. Thank you.